So what we need to do today is we need to learn from David's failure today. We have the life of David to understand his successes, but to also understand his tremendous failures, as we're going to see today, that we might learn from the mistakes of others and the blessings of others, and then move in the direction that God promises to bless. Hi again, and welcome to Live in the Light. We're glad that you have dialed us in here today and made Live in the Light a part of your day. Just a reminder that Live in the Light is a radio ministry designed to see radical transformation by the revelation of God's truth. As we dig into God's word today, we're returning to our series on the life of David, and we've seen David at his highs, and today we see David at a great, great low. In fact, turning to one of the most famous passages in scripture, uh, we're looking at when the heart fails. Hey, is, is your heart failing today? It's an important message for us, isn't it, Robbie? Yeah, I mean, just you think of the state of the heart and really becomes the state of our life. And so this message is designed really, um, it's a wonderful kind of model of scripture to show us what happens when a heart fails. Why does a heart fail? Where does the heart go? Where does it get distracted from? And right now, some of our listeners right now, you're in a place where you kind of have a form of spiritual heart disease like David did as well. Maybe there's a real sense of discouragement. Maybe there's a sense of apathy or complacency. Maybe you're just flat out just feeling down and your heart just isn't beating for the Lord the way that you desired it to be. Isn't it amazing then that the Lord has appointed you exactly at this moment to be listening to this program, to hear his word, that he might love you again and draw you back to himself. That in itself is awesome. And that's what our God does. And listen, that's exactly what's happening to you right now. If your heart is on the verge of failure or your heart is somewhere kind of in mediocrity, the Lord is reaching to you and saying, hey, 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 life's too short. I want to draw you back and to say, I'm not the only one. David failed, but David also was restored to his God with a heart that began to beat again. And that's the hope we have right now. May you be impacted. May you be spoken to. May we all be seen with hearts that continue to love the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get right away to God's word today. Turning in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here again is Pastor Robbie with today's message, Heart Failure. Please uh, find a Bible and open it to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, I can't force you to open a Bible, but I beg you to open a Bible only because it is God's book and because it changes lives and because apart from God's book, I'm out of a job, all right? And so we are fully dependent upon him and I have no message apart from the word of God. So when you believe that God wrote a book, then you desire to open the only book that God has ever written and then you believe it's actually gonna start changing your life. So all that to say, I encourage you, it's not legalism, it's a heart of desire that I wanna hear from the Lord and be changed by him. Second, by the way, if you need a Bible, it's in front of you in the chair in front of you, right? Or still your neighbors or whatever, okay? So yeah, just in front of you, should be a Bible there, open it, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Heart disease. 
Heart disease um, is the leading cause of death in both men and women in the United States. That is according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. In Canada, one person dies of heart disease every seven minutes. Heart disease costs our economy $21 billion a year. Right now, approximately 1.5 million Canadians are living with some form of heart disease. Why do we care about this so much? Well, it's obvious without the physical heart, there is no physical life. The moment a heart begins to fail is the moment when the physical life also begins to fail. But, however, as serious as heart disease is, and it is, what we learn today is that there's a still more form of heart failure that is spiritual. The thing about physical heart disease, it takes away your temporal life, but there's a spiritual heart disease that decides where you go for the rest of eternity. David's greatest strength in the Lord was his heart for the Lord. Here's what we learned today though. Even the strongest hearts for God are subject to fail and subject to failure. It's in our text today. We, we see and discover that over time, David's heart began to waver from the Lord's heart. In our text today, we discover that David was slowly being distracted away from a health and a pursuit of a heart of God. In our text today, we find out, which is undeniable, David was taking on signs of having spiritual heart disease, listen, that would change his life forever. So what we need to do today is we need to learn from David's failure today. So God has written a book. If we're wise, we understand God has given us a book to uh, point us in the path of life. This is why we have God's word. We are uh, holding God's word so we know where to go, what to do, and what not to do. And the reason that God has given us the life of David is for the same reason. We have the life of David to understand his successes, but to also understand his tremendous failures, as we're going to see today, that we might learn from the mistakes of others and the blessings of others and then move in the direction that God promises to bless. Today we understand just how serious spiritual heart failure is. Now here's the reality of the hearts in this room today. The reality of spiritual hearts in this room today is there's hearts all over the place. There are very strong hearts for the Lord right now. There are apathetic hearts for the Lord right now. There are hearts in mediocrity for the Lord right now. And there are hearts that are on the verge of disaster in the Lord right now in this place as well. Who are they? I have no idea. God knows perfectly. That's why the Lord is a supreme and perfect cardiologist. The Lord loves the heart so much. He's constantly going after it. And he cares so much if your heart and mind is on the verge of failure. Because if we lose our spiritual hearts, man, we lose basically everything. And so God constantly is working with surgery on our hearts through his word to call us back to himself. And again, this is why we have the word today. So we're gonna begin and we're gonna learn about spiritual failure today, spiritual heart failure today from the life of David. We're gonna start in 2 Samuel 
verse one. I'm gonna read the first five verses and Lord willing, we will get to the end of this chapter, but we'll start with the first five and we will start to examine what is the process of when a heart begins to fail because David was a man after God's own heart, but in this text, he does start to see heart failure. Let's learn together, verse one. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been clean or she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. Verse five, and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, um, I am pregnant. So from 2 Samuel chapter 11 today, we're gonna see this. We're gonna see four stages of spiritual heart failure. We're gonna track with David's heart. What was the progression of when his heart began to fail? Now, not all of us obviously will see ourselves in the same predicament David was in, but all of us will relate in some way to the different stages that we're gonna see before us today. This message is absolutely for everyone that is here who has a heart and has a spiritual heart, which is everyone. So what is the first stage of David's decline in his heart beginning to fail? Stage one is this. Stage number one is this. It begins with disobedience. The first stage of a spiritual heart failing is this. It begins with disobedience. Now look at verse one. Notice right away in verse one, it says, in the spring of the year, the times when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Now what's the problem with that verse? Well, the problem is, who's the king again? Oh yeah, David's the king. So at the time of year when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. So David didn't go. Joab goes to battle. Faithful Joab, one of the leader of the army for, for David's people, for God's people. And the servants of David go as well. But look at the end of verse one, just so the Bible's clear with us, making sure we don't miss this. It says, but David remained at Jerusalem. The time when kings go out to war, David didn't. Now, at this point of David's life, we need to know this. David has never been more successful. David is strong. David is king. David has tremendous wealth and favor and credibility. He is surrounded in comfort and luxury, and he has overwhelming power. David is swimming in success. Do you know what's so interesting about abundant wealth, power, favor, and comfort? These are all ingredients. If the heart is not careful, these are all ingredients in the recipe of disaster. If the heart is not abundantly vigilant and careful, the heart will succumb to the environment it finds itself in. Loved ones, this is a word for us today. This is our society. This is North America. This is the country we live in, obsessed with comfort, obsessed with ease, obsessed with luxury, obsessed with making it fully about ourselves. David, surrounded by comfort, the comfort and luxury of his life, slowly began to distract his heart away from the Lord. The text today in 2 Samuel didn't happen in just a day. It was a progression over time of David going from passionately pursuing God to slowly 
slowly drifting in an alternative direction. Furthermore, the comfort of David's life distracted his heart, which led to lust, and the lust began to slowly erode his heart and love for his God to the point that he could no longer see God, and all he saw was a sin, and he ruined his life because of it. We learn from this right now. Comfort is not the answer. Ease is not the answer. Do you know what we could easily argue from David's life? The time, the best time of David's life as it related to his heart, when his heart was strongest for the Lord, when he wrote the most powerful Psalms, when he had so much fruit for God, the strongest part for David's heart in his life was the time in his life he was running for his life from Saul. You could easily argue that. The strongest spiritual time in David's life when he was running for his life, trying not to get killed by Saul. Why? He was so utterly dependent upon the Lord. And when you're so utterly dependent upon the Lord, when life is often the toughest, that's when often the most fruit is seen. Can you, can you and I recognize the blessing and power of trials that come upon us? that make us so dependent upon the Lord, but in our flesh, we just want ease and comfort and the luxury. And watch out, man, we get super comfort. We get super dull. We become complacent, apathy sets in, and all of a sudden we are distracted away from the pursuit of God. And so David, in this arena of self-indulgence and just self-complacency, he was starting to move towards disobedience. Now, if you look at verse two, Verse two, it says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Now, look at verse two. Can you see the contributing factors to David's disobedience, okay? So look at verse two. I'm asking you to study God's word right now. Don't look at me, don't look at me, okay? In verse two, can you see the contributing factor to David's disobedience in this one verse, so as I studying verse two this week, I wrote down three words that I wanna share with you. They'll be on the screen beside me and behind me, okay? Three contributing factors to David's disobedience. The first word I wrote down from verse two was this, neglect. The neglect of David's heart, the neglect within David's life led him towards disobedience. David's duty was to be at war. But David had neglected his duty. He passed on his responsibility, God had given David a role. David put that role aside temporarily. He neglected it. Loved ones, we must understand this. We fight off. We must fight off neglect in our lives because when we find ourselves in neglect, neglect inevitably will become the neglect of the heart as well. Understand this too. God has given us responsibility as a duty and as a protection of our own hearts. Responsibility is good as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a student, as a friend, as an employee. Responsibility, we are made to be responsible human beings. Again, work is created by God, it's good. We're created to work hard. When we shun responsibility, we are in a danger zone of pursuing disobedience in our own lives, which in turn affects our hearts. David had neglected his role and opened himself up to be susceptible to the pattern of sin and disobedience. And so in his neglect, then he wasn't at war. So what he was doing, second word is this, idleness. 
David found himself in idleness, and that's never gonna be a good thing. He should have been at war, but instead, verse two tells us, he's at home, and specifically, notice the Bible includes this, he's on the couch. David's a couch potato, right? He's, he's, he's shunned his responsibility, and so he's lying. I mean, a lot of us relate to this, right? He's lying on the couch, and then notice he gets up, and he wants to walk on the roof, right? You can just picture it. There's David, should be out with his men, fighting the battles, but he sleeps in real late, like this, and what should I do? I don't know, nothing on the agenda. Might as well just go for a walk. It's like 10.30 in the morning. Had my cup of tea, nothing to do. Might as well look around. Hey, what's sad. Idleness. Isn't it so true the saying that says this? The devil finds work for idle hands. Yes, he does. See, David is essentially bored and because of his neglect, it leads to idleness, which then makes him so susceptible to temptation. Do you know how many people fall into the trap of idleness in their lives? Do you know how many right now in our, in our society, how many young men destroy their lives in idleness? I mean, all of us can be susceptible to this, but particularly there's a generation of young men where they have nothing to do, so they sit around and they play video games and surf the internet for hours and hours and hours a day. Eight hours a day, some of them are doing this, sitting around, accomplishing nothing of spiritual value, of any eternal fruitfulness whatsoever. At the end of the time, where do they find themselves? In the middle of idleness, and it's just a matter of time before you start to turn your heart toward the things of the world and find yourself in a trap of sin and frustration and misery misery and pain, and you get to the end, and there's nothing of any good surrounding you. It's the trap of idleness. Killing people. Deadly. No motivation. Don't want to work hard. Just lazy, lazy, lazy. And all the while, their heart is going down the spiritual tubes. Because when we're neglectful, and when we have idleness, well, then naturally, this is going to happen. Temptation. And here's David, man, neglect, idleness, and this leads to his temptation, which, listen, devastates his life. Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation. David is actually leading himself towards temptation because it starts with neglect and idleness, and now he's in a place, he's not thinking right, he has nothing else to do, so he's trying to fill the time by entertaining his flesh. Watch out, man, watch out. One of the great blessings of pursuing the Lord with your heart and serving him and stuff is sometimes you find yourself, you don't have time to sin. I mean, hear me. You're just so busy loving him that you find your heart just wants to go to him. But David was not in this place. So look at verse three now. In verse three, it says, in David's sense, so, and by the way, when the Bible talks about um, a woman being beautiful or a man being handsome, the Bible doesn't have to use exaggeration. So for the Bible to say that Bathsheba was beautiful, that's one thing. When the Bible says she's very beautiful, just take God's word for it, okay? She was, she was very attractive. Verse three, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Okay, okay, so watch this in verse three. David has looked with lust. Now David wants to act on the lust, but notice what God does. He sends a messenger of conviction. And verse three, there's some, a servant, a servant here, the courage of the servant. I'm just so, I just love like this servant, you know, speaking to the king. And it's almost like he sees what's happening. He probably does see what's happening. And David wants Bathsheba. And he says, wait, 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 king. 
Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliab, most importantly, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? In other words, David, isn't she married? That's David's chance to be filled with conviction to find his way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, okay? No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, just a side note on this. A lot of people take this verse to mean God will never give me anything I can't handle. Okay, wait, wait, wait. That's my entire life. I can't handle it, all right? Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Notice, it's about temptation, the text is talking about temptation. God will never tempt us beyond what we're not able to endure. But notice, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. When David says, get me that woman, and the servant's like, but wait, well, wait, she's married to Uriah. That was David's chance, by God's grace, to take the escape route, be filled with conviction, and not sin and ruin his life. My advice to you is, man, to me, it's like, when we're about to sin in ways we know we shouldn't, some of us were about to say something that is filled with bitterness and venom towards someone else, and someone comes into the conversation and they say something that kind of shuts us down, there's an opportunity right there to escape your sin. Some of us were about to fulfill sensual sin in some way and act out, which is horrible in God's sight, and the phone rings, the person walks, whatever it might be, something, something happens, and it's, it, it's your way of escape. Take it, take it, take it. God in his grace is providing a way to escape the sin. But the scary part is, is when we see the escape hatch and we're like, don't want it because I want to sin. And this is David. This is where his heart started falling apart because if you look at verse four, it says, so David sent messengers and took her. Hmm, guess he didn't listen to that guy, huh? Yeah, she's married, so what? David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. This confirms the seriousness of David's heart disease. Again, love us. Remember, this didn't happen just in a day. David's weakness in his life was his sensual pursuit of women. He had um, gathered many wives. He had many concubines over the years. And that was not good with the Lord. And so over time, David began to try to fulfill. He always thought, well, the next one will do it and the next one will do it. But you find out you can't fulfill your lust through multiple experiences. You'll just continue to want more. And so David was here and he found himself in this place and his heart was going in such a bad place that he said, forget the conviction. I want to fulfill my desires. This was David's weakness. Question for all of us here today. Do you know your weakness? What is your greatest weakness when it comes to the temptation in certain areas of sin? Do you know your weakness? Because Satan does. And he will wait, as it says about Jesus, when Jesus is tempted in the desert, Satan left him and it says, and Satan waited for an opportune time to test Jesus again. And that's what Satan doing in our lives. He waits for an opportunity. Do you know your weakness? And what are you doing? What are we doing about our weakness? David failed miserably in his heart in this way. His heart was failing. But listen, let's not let Bathsheba get off the hook though, Okay. Now tell me, if you live in a place that is in view of the palace of the king, do you not think you know it? Like if you live in proximity to a line of sight from where the king lives, do you not think you would be aware of where your house is located in proximity to the king's house? The answer is yes. So do you randomly go outside and bathe naked? 
Is that just a random decision that you do? Would you know the king is not at war, but at home? I'd say 100% yes, Bathsheba knew what she was doing. And what does that tell us about Bathsheba? It tells us in some ways that her heart was also failing. And her role in contributing to David's temptation and providing a way and a form for David to sin and act upon his lust. David responsible, 100%. Bathsheba contributing. Let's have a word just for women in our church right now. In our society, where sensual lust is crazy, it's just incredibly insane. Let's make sure that this place, our church, let's make sure that the virtue of modesty, especially among our women, is held up with the excellence it deserves before the Lord Jesus Christ. If there are women attending this church where your desire in your heart is to draw attention to yourself by how you look and to take the attention away from men's eyes, other places towards you. If that's your intention, that's a, str- that's a strong sign you are suffering from heart failure. If you are dressing a certain way to get attention so it builds yourself up and you feel better about yourself, you don't understand the ways of the Lord in terms of purity and the blessing of loving him and, and, and dressing appropriately. Beauty is not a sin, but causing others to sin is. And that's why the Bible says that we would not be a stumbling block to other people. You know, I love though, I, I can say like with great confidence, like for the vast majority, like this church, I love the sense of modesty in this church. And I just love the way that men and women care for themselves appropriately as we gather here and may, and may continue to be that because if we can't have that in here, man, where can we have it? So Bathsheba, put herself in a situation that contributed to the sin of another and explains to us a little bit about where her heart was at as well. So the first stage of heart failure is that it begins with disobedience for both David and Bathsheba. But unfortunately, if the heart is not checked, if if the heart is not confessing sin, then this heart failure gets worse, leads us to stage number two. Here's stage number two, it worsens with deception. Spiritual heart failure, if not checked, will worsen with deception. So the doctrine of sin tells us, okay, listen, listen, sin unchecked breeds more sin. Do you know that? Sin like spreads seeds. It's like a weed. It continues to find its way and to spread more and more weeds in the garden. It's relentless. Unless sin is checked, it will continue to multiply itself. Look at verse six now. So David finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. So what, do he, what does he do? He gets a plan to cover his sin. Awful. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Job was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. So in my margin, my Bible, beside verse seven, I wrote awkward conversation. So here's David before Uriah. Uriah comes in. Hey, Uriah, what's up? Good. So man, uh, how are the people doing? Good. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Uh, how's the war going? Good. Can I go now? You know, 
And if David was true to his heart, he's like, well, I'm just kind of, you know, the small talk right here because the truth is I got your wife pregnant and now I want you to come back. So I want you to, to labor with her so it looks like it's your son and so I can cover my sin and so I can get away with this and allow my heart to continue go down the sewer. Because look what happens now in verse eight. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. So David's buttering him up now. Verse nine. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord, and he did not go down to his house. When they told David, it didn't work, David. David said, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Look what, look what Uriah says. In the midst of David's total lack of integrity, look at the integrity of Uriah. Verse 11, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, king, and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Okay, okay. does David have any conscience right now? Right? David's living in the palace in self-indulgence and luxury, sleeping with women that don't belong to him. And Uriah says, as you live, I could never do such a thing even to go down to my rightful wife when the ark is in the booth and the, and the servants of God are sleeping in the field at war. Thanks for listening to Live in the Light today. If you'd like to hear this message again or any messages in this series, visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. We are excited to let you know that Live in the Light is now available on iTunes. Our daily broadcast can be delivered to your phone or device via podcast. Each episode is up there for you to listen to as they become available live on the air. Check out our website and subscribe to get Pastor Robbie's most recent messages. That's all for today. Join us next time at Live in the Light.